Hello and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. This is Tom McSweeney with the Maritime Ireland Radio Show, the programme with the news, views, information and developments about Ireland's marine sphere. The sea around our coastline, our inland waters, our lakes and rivers are all part of Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. They are socially and economically vital to this island nation. Ireland's connection with the sea is as old as time itself. So the Maritime Ireland radio show and podcast brings together the maritime community and everyone is welcome aboard. Can fish die in hot water? Irish indigenous native species of fish like cold water. But because of climate change, water temperatures are rising. Our native fish populations will be cold water fish species. So they like the salmon trout and eels, and they like cold water. So when you're getting water, surface water temperatures of 23, 24 degrees, you're actually heading close towards lethal temperatures for those species. That's Dr. Kieran Byrne, Head of Logistics at Inland Fisheries Ireland, the state agency responsible for the conservation, protection and development of our inland fisheries and sea angling resources. We'll discuss with him the notable increase of fish species not previously common in Irish waters that are being caught around the coast and the impact which changing water temperatures attributes to climate change. Dublin City is a city with a magnificent foreshore, an inviting bay for leisure boating which is increasing. But Dublin Port is also Ireland's busiest port. It has about 50 shipping movements each day, so Dublin Port Company has launched a new water safety awareness campaign. A capital city will have a beach all the way from the Bailey Lighthouse to the north, virtually round to uh, Docky Island down to the south. So we want people to be able to use the bay. But what we saw was some people unknowingly putting themselves in situations that were not safe. Captain Michael McKenna, Dublin Port Harbour Master, who will discuss the new safety measures between the ships and leisure craft sharing the waters of Dublin Port. We'll also discuss the importance of sand dunes on our beaches, with which everyone is familiar. But do you know how vitally important they are and that there is a national campaign to protect them? And we'll hear why our offshore island communities want the government to introduce an islands bill. All fishermen, commercial and recreational, and the maritime scientific community are seeing and noting the changes. There is no denying that change is occurring in Irish waters. Inland Fisheries Ireland, the state agency whose operations extend 12 miles offshore, has responsibility for conservation, protection, management and development of inland fisheries and sea angling. That puts 74,000 kilometres of rivers, streams and 128,000 hectares of lakes under their jurisdiction. The soaring temperature in the heatwave last month put fish under distress according to the agency. Climate change is having and will have effects on Irish species. Dr. Kieran Byrne is Head of Logistics at IFI and its former Chief Executive and has been studying the impacts. 
during the heatwave, I asked him what exactly is happening to and in Irish waters. Well, what's happening, I suppose, Tom, is uh, there's, two, there's two processes at play, and I think it'd be important to split out the difference. Right now, this week, we're experiencing a piece of good weather, which is kind of a short-term phenomenon. But actually what's happening is we're seeing a shift in the climate, which is a, a much longer-term phenomenon. So in Ireland, what we're seeing really is a kind of a warming, uh, which started at the end of the 80s and has kind of continued on. And we're seeing broadly an increase in annual air temperature. Um, the prediction for Ireland in terms of climate is that we'll have wetter winters and autumns and an increased frequency of kind of heavy rain and precipitation. And this kind of transition between warmer dry periods and uh, more frequent weather periods is going to happen more often. So that's the climate piece. So today we're seeing lovely weather, which is very much short term, but in the longer term we're seeing a change in our climate and this impacts on fish populations. So are we seeing also, because I've been inclined to notice it myself when on the water, surface temperatures are obviously different to land temperatures, but then the temperature I might be seeing on the surface in my boat, beneath the surface, the temperatures are probably varying again for the fish species. Well, they are, Tom. That's exactly right. And uh, IFI has undertaken a program of research in this area to get a much better handle on the impact of water temperature than those kind of factors on fish. But for example, we have a data boys out in Loch Sheelan, and the surface temperature there on Monday evening at, at about half a metre deep was heading for 23.4 degrees Celsius. And at four and a half metres deep was heading for 19 and a half degrees, which is, think about it, it's incredibly warm. So the top layers of water where many of the fish species would live uh, are almost as warm as your bath. And that's mostly to do with the current weather patterns, but overall we're seeing an increase in these surface temperatures. That obviously, I mean, it's, it's warm for humans, has been for the past week. It must be warm then for the temperatures fish are experiencing. Yeah, fish are basically very much dependent on the water temperature around them, so their surrounding conditions. So they have they have a thing called thermal optima. In other words, there's ranges of temperature which, which above which they can't really survive and below which they can't really survive. And different species of fish have different ranges, obviously, because there's some fish in the higher latitudes, some fish in the tropics. In Ireland, our native fish species are dominated by cold water fish species. So your listeners will be familiar with salmon and trout and eels and things like that. Our native fish populations will be cold water fish species, sort of the likes of salmon and trout and eels, and they like cold water. So when you're getting water, surface water temperatures of 23, 24 degrees, you're actually heading close towards lethal temperatures for those species. So what has to happen is they have to move somewhere within the river or the lake, if possible, and find that cooler water. If not, if they can't find it, they're under significant heat stress. So it's a real problem. So our, our native fauna, if you want, really aren't adapted to the other kind of water temperatures we're seeing at the moment. And that means they have to go for these what they call thermal refugia, which is basically a cold spot, which in a lake might be a bit deeper. Uh, in a river, it might be a deeper pool. But there's another thing that happens in this kind of weather. Typically, we've got very low water levels. And also, we've got much reduced dissolved oxygen levels. So there's a couple of different processes happening at the same time, none of which are beneficial for the fish. Now, I, I know that much of the, the work of Fisheries Ireland is, is in estuaries and rivers and all of that, but it, it reaches out a bit from the coast also because we're hearing all these reports of different species being seen in Irish waters. Is this an effect of what we're talking about in, in climate change? 
Uh, yes, it is, Tom. Um, I suppose yeah, our, our particular remit extends out to actually 12 miles out to sea, and we would have done an awful lot of work on salmon protection and things like that in recent years uh, as part of our statutory functions. But a, a good example of that, Tom, is if you look where Ireland's located in the kind of shoulder of northwest Europe, I suppose biogeographically, we're kind of at the interface between the lower end of the cold water fish species and the upper end of the warm water fish species. So what we're seeing more of now is warmer water fish species being able to migrate north. A good example of that would be um, the gilthead bream, gilthead sea bream, which is a lovely angling species, and a trigger fish. Uh, gilthead sea bream would have been caught very infrequently many decades ago. Then they got caught more frequently, and now all of a sudden they're part of the annual catch uh, for recreational anglers. And more recently, RFI, in conjunction with other agencies, have been involved in a scientific program tagging bluefin tuna. Um, which seems to have been appearing in much greater numbers off our waters than heretofore. So you're seeing these changes in species composition. A lot of that is to do with the range and the, the water temperature that they're able to live in moving further north. And salmon, for example, as uh, a very iconic species in Ireland, uh, as I mentioned, they're under severe pressure in these warm weather, but the range of salmon is generally moving further north as temperatures are rising. So effectively, our indigenous species, if I could put it like that, could be pushed out by the new arrivals because of climate change? Yeah, I think you could put it like that. Now, this is not a kind of an overnight process, Tom. It's, it's a much more of a multi-decadal event. But if you think of a lake, and you have a mix of species in that lake, so you've got your traditional cold water, salmon trout, eels, you've got your cooler water species, would be the likes of perch and bream, um, uh, and then you've got your warmer water species, such as roach and tench, if the, uh, the prevailing water conditions can continue to increase and favour the, the warmer or the cooler water species, what happens is that the cold water species will be left, uh, will be pushed out to a degree. They'll have a smaller available habitat, so they'll, they'll be restricted to that part of the lake or river that has the cooler water. So you'll see the change in um, the, what we call the fish community assemblage, in other words, which all the fish may still remain in that lake, but the relative abundance of different species may change, or where they're located in the lake may change. And certainly the conditions would be more advantageous for the, for the species that can tolerate the warmer waters. And that'll happen not overnight, but over a longer period of time. So from what you're saying, it'll be a subtle change, not a, a dramatic one, but it is happening. Yes. Yeah, 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 it, it is happening. We had, a little, we had a little kind of, I used to have a little phrase when you're talking about research people, talking about half a degree more. If you look at where Ireland's located again, northwest Europe, we're generally species poor, right? Not just fish, but if you look at birds and insects relative to our, our neighbours in the UK and also relative to mainland Europe. Um, and also that was because where we were located biogeographically, but also because of the water conditions and the temperatures might have favoured some species uh, to be able to survive during the summertime, um, but they just couldn't survive over the winter. But as the winter temperatures kind of warm up, um, the habitat becomes more and more available to other species. Now, like the birds and whatever can migrate and move and butterflies can move, but fish can't really. So for a fish to survive the full life cycle, it has to be able to survive not just summer temperatures, but the winter temperatures as well. As things get warmer we're becoming more accessible to those kind of species, even well, when I was in invasive species that may not have been here previously. So you could see in coming decades that native species will be under more and more pressure and there'll be equally more pressure from potential invasive species coming into the country. Dr. Kieran Byrne and the fascinating explanation of climate change and increasing water temperatures on fish in Irish waters. And that leaves me to discuss on my weekly maritime blog the topic... 
Are we becoming hostages to climate change? You might like to read it and send me your opinion. The blog is at tomacsweeneymarine.ie. There are more than 17,000 shipping movements in and out of Dublin port every year, which equates to almost 50 each day. There's huge variety in the size and type of those ships. And this summer there is quite an increase in the number of leisure craft on the water. The increasing public interest in use of the water is good, but it also brings the need for awareness of and concentration on water safety. So Dublin Port Company has launched a campaign highlighting safe and responsible use of Dublin Bay for leisure and recreation. Captain Michael McKenna, Dublin Port Harbourmaster, told me why it was felt necessary to do so. What we started to see at the commencement of the summer, which brought the arrival of nice warm weather, and at the same time was the easing of lockdown. So it was great for people to be able to get out on the water and we welcome that and the bay is a spectacular place here. We've got a, a capital city that has a beach all the way from the Bailey Lighthouse to the north, virtually round to uh, Dockey Island down to the south. So we want people to be able to use the bay. But what we saw was some people unknowingly putting themselves in situations that were not safe. So whether they were paddle boarders or jet skis or perhaps people who were taking a boat out uh, for a spin, but maybe hadn't had a boat out before. Uh, and we saw those people finding themselves in the shipping lanes and our staff having to interact with them to just advise them of where they were, give them some situational awareness. I think the word knowingly or unknowingly, uh, the words are, are very important there, Michael, because obviously as you, you say that people who might be out for the first time would know the bay, established clubs would, but the lack of knowledge about the importance of commercial ports and the rights of commercial traffic over leisure traffic are sometimes not properly understood. That's very much the case. And we, we also spoke, when we were planning our campaign, we, we spoke in detail with John Leach of Water Safety Ireland. And they were able to echo our, our concerns, really, that the higher levels of risk were with the casual boater or the casual paddle boater. And as you say, not people who were maybe... Uh, long-established uh, members of, of yacht clubs. And there are many yacht clubs here in the Bay, Pool Bay, Clontarf, and the four big clubs down in, in Dunleary under the umbrella of Dublin Bay Sailing Club who use the Bay. And we have really good relationships with each of those clubs. Um, we communicate with them regularly. And even myself and our, our pilots have, in the days pre-COVID, you know, we were visiting the clubs to do um, presentations in, during their, their winter lecture series. Uh, to give them information about the shipping side of what happens in the bay. So, so we really have good connections there. But what we wanted to do in this campaign was reach out to the casual boater and uh, give them the opportunity to find out more uh, and give themselves situational awareness in, in Dublin Bay and on the beaches. And you've made quite a bit of information available because there's a shipping lanes map which can be downloaded, a water safety information leaflet, and, and, and obviously you made, because they've become a particular concern in many areas, a particular note to jet skis, personal watercraft. So this information is all available to anybody just 
go and look for it and they'll have that information. That's it, and we've we've made the information on those those charts or maps. We've made them available on our Dublinport uh, Dublinport.ie website, and we've pushed it out then through all the social media channels uh, to enable that sort of depth of connection with with people. Um, and within our information, you know, all the time you're putting these campaigns together, people are thinking, well, what's the one thing you can do? What's the one thing? And really, the the one thing is to make yourself aware of all the different regulations and requirements and to keep yourself safe. There is no single silver bullet, really. You know, it's like if you were to say to somebody, here's the one thing you must do before you step into and drive a car for the first time. There are many things you have to know about to drive a car. You have to know the rules of the road. You have to know how to operate the car, the safety devices, the seatbelts, your awareness, your reversing, your mirrors. Uh, and it's no different when people take that step into the marine environment. There's a whole raft of information that people people should be aware of to keep them and their family members and their their colleagues who are with them in the boat to keep them safe. Stopping a ship is a much or adjusting its course is a much greater problem than a, adjusting a boat, a small leisure craft, a yacht, anything like that. You are correct, and indeed, as the commercial ships uh, come in and out of Dublin port, and often those commercial ships have eight or ten meters of them underneath the water. Okay, so they're in shipping lanes that are dredged to be deep enough to take those ships, and those ships cannot alter course out of those shipping lanes. If they do, they will be aground and we'll have an environmental catastrophe. So they, they must stay within the shipping lanes. And indeed, the regulations do say that vessels less than 20 metres in length uh, should not obstruct the passage of a vessel uh, navigating in, in a narrow channel. So what we want to do really is, is uh, provide avenues for people to find that out. Uh, but at the same time, at the same time, we want people to enjoy the other parts of Dublin Bay uh, to the north and to the south of the bay where they, where they can do so safely without interfering with the commercial traffic at all. Uh, and if there's a need to cross a shipping lane, if someone is to sail from Host to Dunleary, for example, and vice versa, we encourage people then to call VTS, which is like our air traffic control, to call VTS on VHF channel 12. And VTS will very much welcome that call. So people shouldn't be shy to call. And VTS will then give them advice and will then inform the ships of the location of the leisure craft. Captain Michael McKenna, Harbour Master of Dublin Port, with good advice on safe use of the harbour. His point about boaters who are not members of clubs and therefore may not be as well aware of safety requirements as those who are is well made. Ireland does not impose a licensing system in use of a boat, a freedom to be cherished but which also imposes absolute personal responsibility and in a harbour situation, ships do not have to give way to leisure craft. Shipping has right of way. Do not get in the way of a ship. It may be nice to sit and relax amongst the sand dunes on a beach, but did you ever give thought to how important they are in coastal protection? in providing coastal resilience to the impacts of climate change which cause coastal erosion. There, once more, is that increasingly relevant topic in our lives, climate change. Damage to sand dunes is evident all around the coast, according to the Climate Action Regional Offices. 
who have started a campaign in collaboration with local authorities and NUI Galway to highlight their importance and fragility. Justin Marr outlines the campaign. Sand dunes are one of those natural assets that we need to value and understand better and protect. That's David Mellet. He's regional coordinator for the Atlantic Seaboard North Climate Action Regional Office, one of four such offices that work around the country. There's a growing realisation that they play a bigger part in our fight against climate change and protecting particular coastal communities from the impacts of storms and flooding. And they're a natural barrier between our coastal communities and the sea. And one of the coastal communities that we were working with said something to me that was quite striking and was kind of led to this campaign. They said that their fear for this summer was the visitors to the beach could set that community back 10 years from the potential damage that could be done to the dunes. The strength of dunes comes from their plants, which trap sand, building hills and ridges. Their very deep roots are great at binding the sand together. Damage to sand dunes is evident all around the Irish coastline, according to the Climate Action Regional Offices, who've launched a new campaign called Protect Our Dunes. Working alongside local authorities and NUI Galway, the campaign aims to highlight the importance of sand dunes and the unwitting threat we pose to them when we visit the beach this summer. They're formed by sand that is blown up onto the beach and that sand hits a small obstruction, whether that be a a stone on the beach or a fence or maybe some driftwood. And over time, amount of sand starts to build there. If vegetation starts to get hold, its root system binds the sand below it together, very similar to what reinforcement bar does in, in concrete. But it isn't like the grass we have in our lawns or in our football pitches in that it's not built to sustain that hard human trampling. When we trample on that grass, it starts to um, die away and that leads to blowouts. And over time, that can lead to huge gaps in that sand dune system, which then can exacerbate the problem further. There's probably 21 very active coastal communities here that have expressed the concerns and the issues they're facing in trying to protect their own coastline and particularly their, their sand dunes. But a lot of it is down to general awareness about uh, firstly, the value of the sand dunes to, to the communities, and secondly, the damage that general beachgoers can do to the dunes. And it's generally not seen as anything malicious, it's just lack of understanding of that damage. So this summer, with the lack of international travel, we're expecting a lot more visitors than we've seen it, particularly in the last two weeks with the heat waves, a lot more visitors to our beaches. What we're asking people to do is to try and stay off the dunes, particularly those more narrow and vulnerable ones to stick to the designated pathways onto the beach and to follow the local signage. What seems to cause a lot of damage is where people kind of veer off the designated pathways and start to create other ways into the dunes. We want people to come to the beaches and enjoy those natural resources that we have, but to visit those beaches responsibly and just to be aware of the potential damage that that can be done. You can find out more about the Protect Our Dunes campaign, as well as toolkits for coastal communities, at the Climate Action Regional Office's website, caro.ie.
Justin Marr reporting on the importance of sand dunes and from where we move on to the offshore islands and the latest news about those communities. Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of Kogolilana Heron, the Islands Federation, joins me from Inishlar in Clue Bay. Hello, Tom, and hello to all listeners from the offshore islands of Ireland. Kogol has been carrying out extensive consultations concerning the future of the islands, including a widely attended workshop on island-proofed policies. Results were included in the annual general meeting, as well as the policy work of the Department of Rural and Community Development and comments by Minister Heather Humphreys. Included at the AGM was a presentation from the Scottish Government Islands Working Group, the Scottish Islands Federation, and Tuli Rantala of Inishbofan explaining the Finnish system of transparency on project works. Consultations have identified several challenges, a decreasing and aging population, poor or lack of broadband connectivity, and sketchy mobile phone coverage. A range of housing difficulties has been highlighted, the lack of available, suitable housing year-round, and the increased cost of building on an island. Additionally, there is a serious lack of social housing on islands and the planning process is seen as not fit for purpose in the island living context, which many islanders feel are more stringently enforced than on the mainland. Education is another area where state policy does not fit the needs or circumstances of the islands. The teacher-student ratio requirement is unrealistic There are no secondary schools on most islands, and where there are, course choices may be limited. Where there is no secondary school, parents must send their children out to board during the school term, leaving their homes and islands sadly quiet places. None of this adds to island sustainability. There are many cases where entire families have had to relocate to the mainland to educate their children. There were several other areas of concern expressed by the consultation respondents. Infrastructural upgrading and additions are needed to piers, pontoons, slips, and roads. There are concerns around environmental controls, coastal erosion, and development of green energy sources on islands, as well as the impact of high levels of tourism on islands. Department officials tell us they have met with 11 government departments on island issues and will continue to consult with stakeholders and agencies during the development of the 10-year policy document and three-year action plan for the islands. This cross-government island policy includes all relevant government departments and a corresponding action plan for the islands. The development plan from the Interdepartmental Committee on Islands is eagerly awaited as the first of its kind since 1996. Now, the way forward for Ireland's offshore islands may well be a powerful mix of the consultations by the department and Kogolidanayan. Short term, Kogol looks forward to the policy documents and action plan, and hopefully the organization's contribution to both plus further workshops to help direct actions on several challenges. Long-term, an island's bill must be considered, as well as actions to drive sustainability and well-being for our island communities. But for now, it's Sloan from the islands. Thank you, Rhoda, and hopefully that island's bill will come to fruition.
With that news, we end this edition of the Maritime Ireland Radio Show, which is broadcast on 18 community radio stations around Ireland. On CRY 104FM Yall, West Cork FM, Bear Island Radio, UCC Radio in Cork, and in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound, and Dublin South. In Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. On Dundalk FM, on Athlone Community Radio, on Kilkenny City Radio, and in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM, Belmullet. On Southwest Clare, Radio Kirkabashkeen on West Limerick 102 FM and Tip Midwest Radio in Tipperary and with podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Spotify and the marinetimes.ie Wherever you've been listening thank you for being part of the Maritime community. The programme website is at tomxweenymarine.ie That's tomxweenymarine.ie or look up the Maritime Ireland radio show our email address is Maritime Ireland Radio Show at gmail.com. That's Maritime Ireland Radio Show at gmail.com. Our phone and text number 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. Sound supervision on the programme by Justin Marr. Until our next programme, you can follow me for more Maritime News Daily on Twitter at Tom McSweeney. Until our next broadcast, the usual wish of fair sailing.